Reminders are necessary because people forget. I was reminded of that this past week as I sat in the living room of my house uh, and uh, uh, got a, a text. Uh, uh, let me back up. Uh, last Sunday was the change of the time, the change of the clocks. And I changed all the clocks in our house and in uh, the car that I was driving. My wife, Eleanor, was driving our truck that weekend for her job. She had some things at a, a festival that she was doing for Echo. And so I hadn't switched over the clock in my truck. And it had been fine all day until late in the afternoon when I left here to have what I call lupper or liner. Like uh, I, sometimes I don't eat lunch at lunchtime. I, I work all the way through to like four or five, and then I have like an early dinner. And so I went to have my dinner before our board meeting. Uh, these great elders that we have uh, give me a Monday night once a month, and, and we hang out and we pray for and discuss and then act on the things that God is leading us to do as we leave this church. I look forward to those meetings. Uh, but I had a board meeting last Monday night, did my liner, and uh, went home. I have these two little puppies that uh, are, are needing attention. And then I, my, my daughter, Kai, was uh, a Flor- she's at Florida State, and she, her spring break started, so she had come home, and I wanted to say hi to her. So I'm sitting in my house, having a great time, petting dogs, talking to daughter, and uh, the, the, the phone in my lap goes off, and it's Tom, and, the, and it's text, Tom Eichem, our executive pastor. The text says, are you coming? I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I'd looked at the clock in my truck, and I had like two hours before this meeting started. When I started this whole process, I was like, man, this is golden. I don't know how this happened, but it's like I got a free hour somewhere. <clears throat> and I hadn't looked at the clock that was on my lap the whole time. I had just gone off the clock in my truck, and he says, we've been here for 20 minutes. Are you coming? <laughs> Who's been there? Has anybody been there? I mean, I wasn't doing anything to, to try to miss this meeting. I look forward to this meeting. I intended to be there early, you know, and all of a sudden I found out I was 20 minutes late, and yeah. The guys had a good time with it. They were gracious. There was lots of jokes about watches and gifts and things like that. But uh, forgetting happens. Anybody? Forgetting happens. And that's why we need reminders. That's why we come to church. We hang out here on a weekly basis because Christians forget. Uh, some, some of us who aren't Christians yet, we need to be introduced to these subjects and these ideas that we talk about from Scripture. But, but a lot of us are sitting in here, and we've been around this stuff for a long time, but we, we just need reminders. We just need to be told again and again and again that this is the life that God hopes for us. We've talked about a lot of things in this series, things like uh, making good choices. That's just the bedrock of a, of a quality life. Uh, being the church and not just going to church. We talked a bit about that from Acts chapter 2. We talked about going and sharing the gospel. It's the mission of the church. It's so easy as a church to forget that that's why we exist. It's for other people to hear about Jesus from us. Last week we talked about the Christian life and we, just, uh, we, we took from Paul's letter to Timothy, his second letter, these three words, remember Jesus Christ. And we said the Christ life is basically, it starts with that, finishes with that. In the middle it's that, remember Jesus Christ. If you, can, if you forget everything else about what a preacher tells you, but you can remember who Jesus is, what he did for you, uh, the, the way that he lived, the things that he said, you're well on your way to live in a life that will honor him. Just remember Jesus. Today we want to continue with another reminder. Seems like the guys in the, in the, in the scripture, the, the audiences that were being written to there, they had the same uh, memory loss issues that you and I have. They were constantly being reminded of the things that they'd been told before. And today's no different. We're going to go to the book of Titus. If you have your Bibles, you could turn there with me, Titus chapter 3. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. And uh, we're going to talk about the high road. Who's ever said that to someone? I'm going to take the high road on this one. Let's take the high road. What, what does take the high road mean? Tell someone next to you what you think take the high road means. Go ahead, I'll give you permission. Tell someone next to you what you think take the high road means. 
You're not talking at all. Okay, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. Uh, <laughs> that was the lamest audience participation moment in Baylife Church history. I'm not doing it, Mark. No way. Okay, take the high road just means basically do the right thing. Do the right thing, no matter what the cost, no matter how difficult, uh, do the right thing. The high road is, is essentially a hill. Does everybody get the high part of that? You're going to go uphill in this deal. You're going to do whatever it costs, traverse this terrain. You're going to do whatever it, you know, is, is required of you to do the right thing. The low road then would be, well, like the Bible talks about, this wide road that leads to destruction. That would be the low road. This narrow path that leads to life, that would be the high road. The Bible talks a lot about tracks and paths. In uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, we've learned it together. Therefore, since we've been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sins that so easily entangle us and let us run with perseverance (laughs) the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Yeah, that's how I remember that verse. But did, did you get that last part there? Let's run this race marked out for us. Let's run it with perseverance. There's this track we're supposed to be doing this life on. And it's this track that has as its focus our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the beginner and the finisher of this faith. We look to him as we take the high road. And we try to stay on his path on his track. I uh, was reminded this week as I was getting ready about the basements that I used to hang out in in uh, my childhood in, in northern Maine. And in those basements, during a snowy season like this, uh, we would go down there and they had these NASCAR racetracks. Whoever played with these NASCAR racetracks? I couldn't find one that I wanted to spend the money on. Uh, and it would have been a hard thing to set up on my table. So I got a different one. You just saw me put it together there. But when I was a kid, uh, I never had one of these because I wasn't in that tax bracket. But I had friends who did. <laughs> and we would go over their houses, and we would just sit down there in the, in, the, in the middle of a snowstorm and just have NASCAR afternoons. We would just race again and again and again. Does anybody, remember, anybody know what I'm talking about with these racetracks? We had one of these. We had a racetrack like that. Yeah, you put these black strips of plastic together, and then you plug it into the wall, which, has anybody ever, like, wondered about some of the toys you played with when you were a kid? Like, you plug this into a live uh, socket, and then there was electrical charges inside these grooves, for those of you who haven't seen one of these things, and you would set this car down on these grooves, and that electrical charge would charge your car, and then somehow, through the miracle of science, you'd have this trigger, this little, like, gun, not gun gun, but, tr- yeah, anyway, sorry, but you'd have this trigger, and, and, and you would squeeze the trigger, and the, and the, and the car would go. And so you'd say, okay, you know, first one to get around the track 10 times, wins, on your market set, go. And here's what would happen. Rookies would come to that track, and they would just pull the trigger wide open. And they might be in the lead for the first half lap until they got to what? The first turn. Because what's going to happen at that first turn? Their car's going to go across the basement. It's going to go over by the deep freeze or near the washing machine or something like that. And here was the rules in the boy, where I played. Doesn't matter how long it takes you to go find your car. That other guy's keeping going, and that's like your pit stop. You can go over by the washing machine and grab your car, but whoever, you know, however many laps the other kid had, you've you got to catch up now. And so you figure out real fast. It's not about how fast I can go. It's about whether or not I can stay on the track. That's how you win. 
The best race car drivers were the ones who stayed on the track. The best Christians, the ones who at some point in their life turn on to Jesus. The best Christians are the ones who figure out what his track is and just stay on it. And it doesn't matter if there's little bumps and turns in the road, if there's slides here or if things get picked up there. Woohoo! <laughs> you just figure out in any circumstance what the path is and you stay on it. And you do that, everybody, until you're done. That's the Christ life. In every situation, take the high road. Find the rails and stay between them. That's what we're going to talk about today in the book of Titus. We're going to talk about uh, remembering a couple of the rails in the Christ life. There's lots. There's a whole Bible full of them, but we're going to focus on two of them today as we read through the first few verses of Titus chapter 3. I remember uh, you know, saying goodbye to some friends in, in, uh, in college, and, and for the first time I heard this statement. I was a new driver. and One of my friends says, hey, Mark, as you're driving home, Chicago to where you lived in Peoria, Illinois. Keep it between the rails. Anybody ever said that to someone? It's kind of a morbid statement. You're, you're really, you know, giving them a wide berth there. You know, you can go in other lanes of traffic, I guess, but just keep it between the rails. Um, but uh, I, I just, that's always been in my vernacular. It's been this reminder uh, to honor God. And, and keeping it between the rails is basically saying, this is the line you don't cross, this is the line you don't cross. And Paul gives that to Titus here in these uh, instructions for Titus as he leads his churches. Little, just real quick background on Titus. Anybody know who Titus is? Okay, I'll tell you. Titus is, uh, Titus is basically an intern, a former intern of Paul's. He and Timothy were probably you know, close to the same age. Uh, they, they both had come uh, to Christ uh, as young men and had been uh, discovered by Paul and brought along on the missionary journeys that Paul went on in the book of Acts uh, Timothy was given a post in the church at Ephesus, and we talked about him the last couple weeks. But Titus, uh, he was one of the first Gentile converts. In fact, Galatians chapter 2 tells us that when Paul went to Jerusalem to see all the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, he brought Exhibit A, his buddy Titus. He says, look, the Gentiles are Christians too. Check it out. Here's one right here. Right? And this guy Titus, uh, as a Gentile, went on to become the Gentile pastor leader uh, bishop even, if you want to call him that, of all the churches on an island called Crete. Who's heard of Crete? It's out there in the Mediterranean. And, uh, and the Cretans are famous. Anybody know what the Cretans are famous for? Obstinance. Uh, some would even say stupidity. Uh, but they, as an island race, were just kind of hard-headed. And so Paul writes this letter to his buddy Titus, and he says, here's how you handle them Cretans, these new Christians. And he says, your biggest quest is to help them understand that they're not Cretans first and Christians second. They're Christians first and Cretans second. Just like you and I are not Americans first and Christians second. We are Christians first. And then whatever else, whatever other label, Americans, whatever your job is, whatever your school was, whatever, okay? Christians first. And so he gives Titus several reminders here in his letter to him. And then he gets here to chapter three and he says this word, which is the key for our series, remind Apparently, these guys had already heard this before, but Paul says to Titus, Titus, remind those Cretans to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy to all people. Long list there. Did everybody get it all? Lots of things. Lots of things to be reminded of. 
But they're all kind of bookended. They're bookended by these two essential statements. The first one, if you go back for me, uh, Matthew, is, is remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Now, as we talk about the rails, this is the first rail. Rail number one is to submit to authority. Again, remind them to submit and, uh, to the rulers and the authorities. Who are the rulers and authorities? Well, they're in Crete at this time in, in history. It was a place called Rome. Uh, Rome was in charge of the entire Mediterranean. In fact, most of the Western world. And Rome had come in, and uh, like they had in every other place they took over, they had allowed the, the people that they had conquered to continue in life, but they had to pay taxes and, and abide by the rules of Rome, and if they didn't, things didn't go well. So Paul is saying to Titus, hey, Titus, make sure you tell these Cretans that even though they don't agree with their government, even though they don't like their government, they need to be submissive to their government. We're going to talk about that, uh, but not just their government. We're going to talk about all authority. Anybody here got a problem with authority? Anybody here, one of those kids growing up in high school that was on your chart, right, uh, has a problem respecting authority? Uh, you're not alone. Humanity, uh, from the first humans, had a problem respecting authority. You go to the garden, Adam and Eve uh, had a problem respecting authority because when God told them not to do something, they did it. And we've been doing it ever since. So whether your authority is your government, which certainly it is, or your boss, which certainly it is, or your parent, if you're of an age where you live in a house and your parent is still in charge of you, and they are, your, your teachers, uh, wherever you've got an authority, your mission as a Christian, even if you disagree with them, is to respect and submit to them where possible. I'll talk more about that in a second. But the other thing, the other bookend, that's the first one, the other bookend is kind of sneaky. It's in the end of verse two. And rail two is, is to submit to others. We're not supposed to just sit submit to authority. It doesn't just stop there. It's not like we have to, you know, be nice to our bosses and be, you know, just however we want to everybody else. It says at the end of verse two, show perfect courtesy towards all people. You know what that Greek phrase actually is? If we just trans, uh, translated it in more literal terms, it would be show all humility to all people. All humility to all people. Perfect courtesy, I think, in the English Standard Version. It makes me think of, like, put your napkin on your lap. You know, know where the fork goes when you're setting a table. Uh, no, it, it goes beyond just courtesy and being nice. It means be below everybody else in your life. This kind of goes along with what Jesus taught was the greatest commandment, was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Respect authority. God's our authority. Uh, love others as you love yourself. Respect others. Honor others. Put yourself, as we've said here before, third. God, people, me. Uh, God wants us to not just respect our authorities, but he wants us to respect each other. We're going to talk about both. Let's go through those things. So let's answer this question. What does submission to authority look like? And we're going to go walk through that list. Uh, we're going to see that the first way that submission looks like, or the first characteristic of submission, is that people need to be rule keepers. We need to be rule keepers. Look what it says in verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. How? By being obedient. By following the rules. I don't know about you, but I have no problem following the rules that I like. Testify? Anybody with me? Those ones are easy. In fact, I get mad at you if you don't follow them. I like that rule. You should follow it. But then, that may not be a, a rule that you like, so you don't follow it. And as a hypocrite, I'll say, well, that's not right. But then, when I get to a rule that I don't like, what's my tendency? Well, I break the rules I don't like. 
I create loopholes, workarounds. Like these rules are convenient for me, but this one feels kind of confining. And I don't like it as much, and so we're going to work around that one. That's how it worked in the garden, Adam and Eve. They had three imperatives that I've, I've read in those first couple chapters. The first one was uh, tend the garden, care for the garden. Adam was like, no problem. And here's why. Work didn't hurt, fellas. Everybody knows that the result of the fall was that work was going to be toilsome and burdensome. And, and like, you know, if you were out in your yard yesterday and you've got a sore back today, that's the result of the fall. Blame Adam, all right? But before that happened, apparently Adam could work all day and be fine. And guess what? He got to eat the fruits of his labor. He had choices of all the trees in the garden except one. We'll get to that. But, but it was no problem for Adam, Adam to, to work. He, that was an easy rule to follow. He's like, got it, Lord. I'll, hey, I'll be your viceroy. I'll be the person who's over top of everything here. I'll, I'll work and tend your garden. No problem. You know what the second commandment was? Go forth and multiply. Think Adam liked that one? Uh, ladies, just so you know, he did, yeah. Most guys would be like, really? That's, you're commanding me to do that? Because I was hoping to do that anyway. But I'll, totally, yes, I'm in there. And he wasn't worried about getting pregnant. You know why? Because another consequence of the fall was that pregnancy, childbirth became painful. She could apparently have kids all day long and not feel a thing. It was like epidurals all the time. Those, those rules were easy to follow. You know what rule was hard to follow? The one that was negatively put. You shall not. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's God doing getting all bowed up here? I mean, I'm fine with all the things that he wants me to do that are going to benefit me, but wait a minute. seems like you're limiting me here, God. Why can't I eat of that tree? Satan used that, right? As someone who had already uh, usurped authority, or tried to, he comes into God's creation. He says, isn't that horrible that God would, you know, play the boss card on you like that? You know why he did it. He just doesn't want you to be equal to him. You should try that fruit. You should try that tree. And he was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. She created a workaround for the rules that she didn't like. We've been doing it ever since. But here's, listen, you want to know why you keep the rules? You keep the rules, first of all, for tranquility's sake. If you want peace in your life, learn to keep the rules, even the ones you don't like. Anybody been caught for speeding? You probably disagree with that number, especially when you're in a hurry. That should be a higher number. I gotta get to where I gotta go, and this is an empty road, and there's no reason that I shouldn't be able to go Audubon out here. And so you go Audubon, and then Smokey finds you, or whatever the name is now for our police force on the state patrol. Smokey, what just happened there? Anyway, uh, <laughs> did I, it's, it's 1976, uh, you know. <laughs> 1976 called back, they want their slang. All right. Um, Oh, don't turn on the car. Yeah, so, so the police officer pulls you over and they give you a ticket and you're like, oh, I can't believe this rule. But guess what? Now you've got to pay that ticket. And now, if it's happened in your family where one of your children got the ticket and they're still on your insurance, now everybody in your family, namely the guy who pays for the insurance, has to pay for your choice, right? It's amazing. When you keep the rules, when you stay on the track, I mean, I'm not saying that it's a free skate, but I'm saying for the most part, it's better than if you don't. It's just common sense. Let's go to the 80s. If you mess with the bull, you get the horns. And that's the truth. But listen, it, it goes way beyond that for Christians. 
Christians keep the rules. Christians obey their leaders, whether they're governing leaders or bosses or whatever. We keep the rules because our gospel and its integrity is at stake. And go way beyond the, the tranquility of your life. If you and I are rule breakers, if you and I are just, you know, thumbing it in those, if you're in your business and you're taking every shortcut possible to raise the bottom line, there are people around you who know you're Christian, see you doing that, and completely discount the Christ life because you have inauthenticated it through your rule breaking. The integrity of the gospel it is at stake. And the lives of those who have not met Jesus. I mean, how many times have you seen it in the headlines that a preacher who, you know, gilded his faucets with the giving on the backs of the, of the people who went to his church and never paid a dime in taxes is disgraced, the church folds, everything goes, you know, and, and everybody says, see, there's the Christians. No difference. In fact, they're even worse than those who don't follow Christ. I was, <laughs> speaking of <laughs> cars, uh, this was about four or five years ago. I was late for a wedding. This is, a, I'm, I'm, this is, I shouldn't be telling all these stories on myself. But I was late for a wedding, and so I was doing what I described earlier. Uh, I was, you know, assuming that the speed limits didn't apply to me because obviously I had to get these people married, right? Uh, and so uh, it, it, it came down to me not really checking my GPS and thinking someplace was closer than it really was as I was driving to it. And so I had, I had to get there. Well, you know, one of the fine folks in our police force Stopped me, and, and I'm wearing, listen, I'm wearing a suit, okay? <laughs> I got a suit and tie on. I got, I got the notes for my wedding right next to me. And he asked me the question, like everybody gets asked, hey, what's the hurry? Where, where, where are you going today, sir? And I had to tell him, I wasn't going to lie. <sighs> I'm so sorry, officer. I'm a pastor. Uh, I'm supposed to be at a wedding in a half an hour, and it's here, and I didn't realize how far it was. And I recognized I was going too fast, and I understand if you have to give me a ticket. <laughs> But, but, you know, uh, that, that's, what, that's what's happening. I'm not going to make up a story. He said, all right, took my stuff, went back. I think he took his time, <laughs> which I would have too if I was him. But he comes back, and he says this, well, Reverend, oh, I'm just going to ask you to slow down. I hope you get to your wedding. Just remember, the, the law is always the law. Have a good day. And I'm driving away, and here's, here's, here's the two things that went through my heart as I was driving away at the speed limit. Thank you, Lord. Who's, who's there with me on that one, right? God is good. He, he shows favor to those who love him, right? I'm, I'm like quoting all these prophets, right? Whatever. So that was my first reaction. Thank you, Lord, because I've been praying the whole time. Lord, please, no ticket. That'd be horrible. Uh, but then my second thought, like the Holy Spirit kind of broke through my rejoicing. And he said, bro... What if that's the only preacher that guy ever meets? I mean, you're a good guy normally, Mark. But was that traffic stop and that impression, even though you were honest and all those things, but is, but is that what you want to leave in the life of those who meet you? That, you know, the rules suit me as long as they suit me and I'll break them if I need to. Yeah. Um, we need to be rule followers. We need to be authority respecters, even if we disagree with it. 
Now, let me, let me throw this quick caveat in there. It's probably obvious to most of us. There, there's going to be certain things that our government or our bosses are going to ask us to do, and we just can't because they're going to take us past the line that Christ would have us stay within in our life in general. Like in Acts chapter 5, when Peter and the rest of the apostles were proclaiming the gospel in Jerusalem and the government officials came and put them in prison for a second time, right? This is like twice in the same span of you know, time. Uh, and they, they went before on their trial, and this is what Peter said. Hey, man. You decide what you want to do with us. I'm paraphrasing. You decide what you got to do, but we have to obey God in this situation, and we can't obey men. You got to put us in prison, put us in prison. When it comes to sharing the gospel, when it comes to doing the right thing, when it comes to honoring God, there's no government, there's no boss that can make you go past that line. That's when you stand your ground. But here's the deal, Christian, in everything else, you submit. The second thing that we see there when it comes to uh, being submissive to authority is we need to be a difference maker. It says in verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient and then to be ready for every good work. Beyond the rules is this readiness, this willingness to just be a part of whatever's happening in your community. Here's something that should be generally said of all the churches who love Jesus Christ and follow Jesus Christ. We should lead the way in making difference a difference in the world that we live in. Before there was the government and all the programs and everything that would provide for the needy and the lost and the hopeless, hopeless in our society, there was the church. And the church, uh, thankfully not ours as much, but the church, uh, I, I think across our country, has kind of circled the wagons, gone inside, and, and made the community, the people outside the enemy, and we just want to stay safe in here and not get our hands dirty in helping those outside. That, that was not the mission of the Cretans. It's not the mission of any Christians. Paul says to Titus, Titus, you tell everybody that everybody in that church needs to be ready wherever possible to do a good work in the community that they live in. I'm grateful to be a part of a church that does that whether it's Feed the Bay, through the Cold Weather Shelter, through our Women's Resource Center partnerships, through the Community Garden, and so many other ways that so many of you understand. It's not just here, it's there. My mission is not just inside the walls, it's outside the walls, and I need to make a difference for the cause of Christ. It's how, listen, <laughs> it's how I believe the next revival will come in uh, to our history, because it's how revivals got started in the past. Did you know uh, that during certain periods of history in Western civilization, these incredible plagues would be set uh, themselves upon uh, the culture. Like in, in, during the, the Black Plague in the 1400s, 40% of Europe's population died. 40%. Like that's this side. We're, we're dead. Uh, as these people were dying, their families um, just fraught with fear, not wanting to get contaminated themselves left their dying family members in their homes and were headed for the hills. Entire cities would evacuate at the first sign of the plague. But you know what happens in many of the histories? As those families were leaving their loved ones, guess who was coming into town? The Christians. The Christians who uh, serve a Savior who resurrected from the dead and they're not afraid to die. The Christians who trust that their God is able to overcome plague. And we'll uh, be with them. And if listen, they're, they're with Paul. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Let's go help someone. And by the thousands, Christians served and loved those who were dying and buried 
uh, those who died. Uh, they, they were there, and this is what happened in the minds of the pagans. They didn't agree with them theologically. They didn't agree with them politically. They didn't agree with them in all these different ways, but they could not argue with their love because as they were leaving their family members, these Christians were going to take care of them. And revival broke out, not because of the message that they spoke, because of the love they showed as difference makers. The third thing is this. We need to be word watchers. We need to be word watchers. If we're going to be submissive to those authorities above us, we need to be rule followers, rule keepers. We need to be (coughs) difference makers, and we need to be word watchers. It says, speak evil of no one and avoid quarreling. Be gentle and show perfect courtesy towards all people. Oh, this is a tough one, especially in a world where there's computers. We are so fast with our thumbs, right? With our, with our fingertips. We could fire anything off uh, under the protection of the screen and keyboard. Anybody ever read like a, a blog, someone's blog, whether it was a spiritual Christian one or, or just a, a governmental one or something like that, and then just gone down to the comment section? Has anybody seen the trolls in action? Maybe you're one of them, Right? Because behind whatever your online uh, entity is, you can say whatever you want in those little things. And it's amazing how, how quickly it escalates, right? One person will just say, I agree with the author and this kind of thing. And the next person will say, well, you're an idiot. And then that person will say, well, no, you're an idiot. <clears throat> and then it gets all just kind of, whoa, hey, everybody, take a pill or, you know, go hug your mom. You know, it's just, uh, <clears throat> it's out of control. And, it, and it's, listen, we're in an age where it's getting more and more like that. It's getting more and more polarized, less and less um, possible for people to have just dialogue. Doesn't anybody just miss sitting down with someone that you disagree with, loving them across the table, but just agreeing to disagree and trying to learn from each other on things? I mean, I'm not just talking spiritually. I'm talking politically. I'm talking, you know, like, like I, you know, I, I made it a practice. I have a friend who's a Yankee fan. I try to listen to him, right? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm never going to come to his side, but, uh, you know, I can appreciate that you can... Like pinstripes, if that's your thing, that's cool, right? But more and more, it's like us and them. Your side, my side. All truth, no truth. But Christians were never meant to be polarized. Certainly, we're meant to have what we believe. Don't let go of what you believe. This is such a hard thing to preach because I'm not trying to say that we just accept everybody's stuff. I'm not saying that we agree with everybody on everything. Don't do that. But disagree nicely. Disagree lovingly. It's so interesting to me that the only time that Jesus ever got fussed out, it was with the people on his team. <laughs> you know, he'd go to the Jews, the, the muckety-muck, higher-up Jews, and he would just lay into those guys. But when it came to people like the woman at the well, you know, the, the dregs, the lowers, the ones who differed, the ones who were morally just far from him, he was, man, he was patient. His words were kind. It gets us into this next one. We need to be, fourthly, hater tolerators. I, I made that statement up. I don't know if that's right. But uh, that's what this word means here when it says to speak no evil of no one and to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and show perfect humility towards all people. When it says there to be gentle, it's this great Greek word, epiakes. And it, it, it basically means <clears throat> tolerating a divergent view, being um, uh, willing to accept without totally accepting, being gentle, being kind, 
All of these things come into our submission to authority. So listen, I don't know if you like who's in charge politically. Uh, you know, typically the, that one party is, uh, you know, identified with the Christian movement, although it's not entirely one for one. Can we all make sure that we're Christian first and then whatever our political party is next? Can we agree with that first? Okay. But I don't know if you like who's in government or if you don't. I don't know if you like who your boss is or if you don't. I don't know if you like your teachers. I don't, like, I don't know if you like your parents. But here's the deal. God has set up an authority structure in his creation. He's top. You're over others. Others are over you. And the way that this track works best, the way that we function uh, rightly in this system is that we honor those ahead of us by being rule keepers and difference makers by being word watchers and hater tolerators. We, we do all of those things so that God's system works. He's glorified and we're blessed. But let me finish this real quick by just talking briefly. I'm gonna fly through these. Talking briefly about what submission to others looks like. Remember what it says there in verse two? It says, show perfect courtesy towards all people. Let me just talk about your relationships. Move away from your authorities. Just think about your wife or your husband. Think about your friends. Think about your kids, the people in your life group. Think about those in your life uh, that, that are in your life. We, we need to put them ahead of ourselves by being meek. That's the first thing. That's what it means when we apply the, this whole idea of obedience to our relationships. You be meek. Meek isn't weak. Meek is, meek is being in a position of strength and choosing to set it aside so that you can honor the person who's with you. It's choosing, it's like when you get in the car after we're done and, and, uh, and you're always the one who chooses where to eat lunch, you say, you know what, today, honey, you get to choose. And then you, that's kind of dumb. But, uh, uh, but it's in that direction, are you with me? It's you saying, not me, but you, not me, but you, not me, but you. It's about being meek, it's about being available. That's what it means in that verse, as we were talking about it, being ready for every good work. When it comes to your relationships, you're available for your relationships. And in the world that we live in, that is getting less and less likely because there's so much going on. It's hard, to, it's hard for people to get to church because of the sheer volume of options that they have on a weekend. It's so hard to fit everything in. Who feels that? Does anybody feel that? It's so hard. You know, we used to have three channels. Now there's 400, and you can dial it up whenever you want. How are you going to get your TV in? Let alone the people. But here's just a general rule. If you've got people in your life that need you, be available to them. My son Ben came home Friday night at like 2 in the morning. We didn't know. He walked into our house, went to bed. Uh, we had talked maybe that he might come home this weekend, but had not made no sure plans. And so we woke up in the morning, uh, Saturday morning yesterday, to all the things that we had planned. Eleanor and I basically have, she gets off work on Friday at around you know, 4 o'clock, and I go to work on Saturday at 2 o'clock. Don't cry for us, Argentina. We get other time, other places. But that's our weekend, okay? Because I, I work those other days, and she works those other days. And, and so we have Friday to 4 to Saturday at 2. And we try to cram a bunch of stuff in there. Heard, heard about this trailer? Right? I got a trailer, people. I'm trying to fix a trailer. We got these two dogs. Uh, my my father-in-law came to town. God bless Byron. I love you, Dad. Uh, but he'll start a project, not finish it, just because he's out of time. You know, and he's 85. He doesn't care. He's not on the clock. We're not paying him. Right? Who cares? <laughs> so he had basically stripped all the paint off our front door. And so, listen, I had a, all that to say. I had a full slate of things that I wanted to do yesterday morning, and and nowhere near the time to do any of them. And I wake up and I go outside to start my errands, go to Home Depot and all that stuff, and I look behind the trailer and then there's Ben's car. <laughs> now, thankfully, he wakes up at like two. You know, this is how he is, he's, he's that age. 
He actually got up at 12, so we had two hours with Ben. But for those two hours that I had other things slated, guess what? Because the kid's home. And I need my kid, my kid needs me. And the other stuff will be there when he's gone. And we just figure that stuff out. Because that's what it is to be in relationship. We prioritize, we're available. We're not just meek, we're not just available. Uh, we're careful, we're careful with the words we say. Listen, if we can agree to just one thing this week, can we all agree that we're gonna go home and be careful with these this week? Can we all agree that we're gonna go home and be careful with these this week, or these? By the way, if you're having fights by texting, you're stupid. <laughs> can I say that with all the love in the world? If you're fighting with your spouse <laughs> with your phone, you're dumber than you think. Because it's just not gonna work out. If you're, well, that's another subject. But if we were just more careful with our communication, whatever form it takes, I think our lives would markedly improve. Our relationships could just be better because we're just smarter with what we say and how we say it. And the last thing is that uh, we need to be gentle. In our relationships, guys, listen, I'm gonna do a series in the fall on marriage but the number one thing that I find in my marriage is I just got to go slow with her. I got to be gentle with Eleanor. When I'm kind and I give my wife the time and I'm, I'm showing that I want to nurture and not just lead, that I want to love and not just take, that's when our marriage goes whoop. But if I'm just brisk and brash and fast and ugh, male, then <laughs> it just doesn't go as well. Same thing in my parenting, same thing in my leading our church and our staff. I have to work at it. I'm not great at it, but I have to work at it. I have to work at really caring for the people in my life. Not just knowing that I care, but really caring. But when I do that, those relationships are better. So it's no wonder that Paul says to Titus, hey man, remind those Cretans that when they came to Christ, they agreed to roll with him. And if you're gonna roll with Jesus, there's a way to do it. And it doesn't matter if you disagree with your government, you submit to them, you keep their rules, you make a difference in the world that they're leading, you watch your words, you, you're, you're gentle in the ways that you deal with those who disagree with you. Same thing in your relationships. If you're a Christian, there's a way that it's done. And it doesn't matter if those relationships change or if the people that you're in relationships with aren't reciprocating. It doesn't matter. As long as you live, you live for Christ. And as long as you live for Christ, there's a path, a road that you take. And it's not until you go to see him that it stops. May God keep us between the rails. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for your truth. Lead us in it. Um, give us the courage to choose it. Uh, help us most of all to remember it so that we can put it in play. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next time.